Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. Uh, today, we have a real treat. It's a real treat for me, and I know it's going to be a treat for you to have a great friend, Jill Neoporti, in studio with us. Jill is the founder of Jill Kate, the letterpress company. And Jill, we're thrilled to have you. Hi, friend. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's <laughs> great to be here today. And you came down from where? NorCal. That's right. Um, Representing from up north. (laughs) We love that. Um, So tell all of these lovely listeners a little bit about Jill Kate. Okay. Jill Kate is, as you said, a letterpress design studio based in Northern California. And I think around Mm (laughs) 2000-ish is when I kind of got things started. I was, I have zero background in letterpress or really in design. I was an English major in college and was going to go into publishing. And in about my mid-20s, when things didn't work out that way, I was working in a full-time job and needed kind of a creative outlet. And um, it just magically kind of fell in my lap where I discovered design, taught myself what I needed to know and only what I needed to know, and um, slowly started designing things for friends and friends of friends and friends of friends. And it just kind of went from there. And whenever a budget allowed for it, I would take my clients and all of their money and give it to a letterpress printer downtown in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there all day and smell the print shop and listen to the print, like the presses rolling. And I didn't want to leave. And I'd try to act like it wasn't super cool and ask them a million (laughs) questions. And I thought it was so great. Paper and all those things. And um, I think I told someone once, I give away like 90% of my profits when I do that. But any excuse to be in that print shop is just so fun. And they said, well, why don't you just do it yourself? And I'm like, you obviously haven't seen the like 2,000 pound machines. It takes a crane to move one. I'm not a printer. I'm hardly a designer. I totally taught myself. I follow rules. I like get educated and then I go and get the job. Like I don't jump at things like that. What are you talking about? Yeah. And this was early in the days of the internet. And yeah. so <laughs> there wasn't quite as much information online, but I started digging a little and then fell into the rabbit hole of letterpress and was like, this is a thing. So um, that's kind of how things started. And bought a letterpress, which cost more to move than to purchase um, early on. And with, I say this, like specifically with the encouragement of a good friend and my husband, because I never, I need people to make me brave. Like I'm not brave on my own, really not for things like that. I'd much rather not a naturally minded entrepreneur. I'd rather work for someone, rather work hard, do my best, seek perfection. Right. So I never think I... I think I never found anything that I liked enough to want to do it on my own Mm -hmm. until I discovered letterpress specifically and also design. But now I consider myself more of a letterpress printer than I do a designer. Um, If I don't know how to design something, I'll outsource it. But I can't, I will not outsource my printing because I'll figure that out and continue to try to make that better. So I like to do both. I love both. But if I can't do one, that's the thing I'll outsource. So usually up until a few years ago or the last year or so, when we moved out of Los Angeles, I was doing almost all custom wedding invitations, 
birth announcements, Christmas cards, all of those things that a long time ago you couldn't find on Minted. Right. And now you can. So now that you can find those more easily and readily, it's really people who love the art of letterpress, which for those people who don't know, um, letterpress is just a printing form where the image or the design is pressed into the paper instead of raised up off of it. And it was obsolete, like in the 70s, kind of went totally out um, because offset printing and computers and all of that was taking over when letterpress had been kind of the only printing form from like the 1500s till then. So it was almost obsolete and then had a little bit of a resurgence as like an artisanal, artisanal, artisanal craft. I feel like you were kind of on the forefront of that. You were part of that wave because I remember learning about um, letterpress right about the time that you were doing it Mm -hmm. and, and, um, offering it. In fact, I think you did my first child, mm-hmm. like yeah, an announcement. So. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. and she's 15 years old. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's um, funny. so you don't know, I mean, you don't consider yourself or didn't mm-hmm. consider yourself an entrepreneur. Yeah. You are leaning on some, some support, um, to kind of take that plunge and, mm-hmm. and be a little bit of a risk taker, but you knew you were passionate about this particular process and something that you wanted to kind of put out into the world. What what was it about letterpress that you thought, I, I think I can do this? Was it the customer part of it, the outcome, mm-hmm. like offering that to people? Was it just what you would do day to day? You know, the smell of the ink and mm-hmm. the, everything you described earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it that was like, okay, this I'll take, because even with your husband and your friend who supported that, mm-hmm. you're the one that's in there day to day doing it. Mm-hmm. So what was it about that particular endeavor that made you willing to take the plunge? I think it was just really organic, like from mm-hmm. the time I was little, like I loved paper. I loved stationery. I would write letters to fake people like it was just like I just always loved okay, that it. sounds crazy, you know, but, super okay, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> visit art stores and touch everything you know but I'm not super artistic like I'm much more middle of the road like uh-huh. um, and I'm sort of married to an artistic one so now I see where I fall in that spectrum but I'm much more okay with the nuts and bolts of the day-to-day but I've got to have a creative element. So I'm just more middle of the middle of the road. So I think that that's really debilitating in a super creative world. And that's also debilitating when you need to be really, really detailed and perfectionistic. But I'm just yeah. a little more in the middle. And so I think it just organically came from a love of it. And then shock that like, really, I could do this myself and I could teach myself. This is That's not what I know to do. Teach myself, train myself. I'm not legit. I can't Mm. do this on my own to going, this is just for me. If I thought this was for the world, then no, I wouldn't have done it. It was because I loved it. And then someone needs this service. Well, that's cool. You need what I have to offer. This, This is a marriage that could work, right? So that's, I think, the end product. That's great that I could make money from it. But if it would have started out that way, I'm going to go sell something to someone. I, that's not me. That's just not my personality. I can't, I couldn't do it. So it's interesting because you talk about not being, from a creative point of view, that sort of artist, and yet it was the artistry that kind of captured you. Mm-hmm. And then you also didn't consider yourself an entrepreneur, but the fact that you had the fraud complex mm-hmm. um, officially is a stamp of being an entrepreneur. Okay. So it's a, <laughs> welcome to the club. Um, I don't know anybody who's truly being honest, mm. who hasn't experienced that mm. at some level and continues to experience it even as they grow. Mm. It's like, 
I'm kind of, it's truly this fake it till I make it. And then they make it and they're like, I'm, I'm faking it again. Here mm-hmm, I go again. Mm-hmm. So for all you listeners out there who are nodding as Jill is saying this, you're, you're in good company. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the hardest part of actually launching the business? Was it the getting started and believing that you could, or was there something in the learning the business or learning the you know, how mm-hmm. to aggregate customers or what was the hardest part for you? Mm-hmm. I think it's changed but, but from what it was um, in the beginning when I started, which was, kind of, um, which was doing something I love to do and would have done it as a hobby if I couldn't make money doing it. I just would have kept it on the side. Yeah. So there was passion and wanting to learn it. That was fine. I love to learn. I'll ask a million questions. I think I contacted every person in California who even had ever touched a letterpress and asked them everything I, I could and got them coffee. And what can I bring you? And here's some champagne. Like, just tell me everything you know. So that was just passion because I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing I think was thinking of myself as able to do it. All the little things in the beginning. Again, there was really no book even though you wrote one later um, and the internet that now has all of the information, just here, here are the steps to do. Here's let's make it easy. How to start a business. When you don't think of yourself as someone who's setting out to start a business, that stuff can feel like these hurdles that just take forever. Right. Yeah. And they don't have to, but they feel like it. So thinking back now, that was hard at the time. And now there's so many other new hurdles because I'm sort of pivoting in my business and doing like a wholesale um, greeting card line, which is a whole different business model. So rebranding and thinking about myself in that way and doing both things, the custom element, and then kind of moving forward with, with that part, that the part that's challenging, I think about that is what it took to get there and, and think about my business in that new way. Um, as I mentioned, when we left the city, when we left Los Angeles and moved to a suburb in Northern California, I didn't, I felt almost like dead inside for a little while and not really, truly like mm-hmm. uh, not unhappy, just why do I have nothing to say creatively? And I realized after like a year, year of struggling, struggling, struggling. Like I I didn't have the things I was seeing every day in the city, right? The external Mm, creative inspiration, just walking around the people you see, who you talk to, different languages all around you, all of those things. It was just a little more vanilla. And -hmm. there was so many benefits to living where we live now. But, but in terms of creatively inspiring me, I had no idea that would be a detriment. So to realize that for what it was, and then it, like that time allowed me to be quiet enough to figure out what I actually did want to say. And it made me look into my why mm. long enough to think, why do I even want to do this rather than something else? You know, do what I, did you come up with? Can you tell us? I think, yeah, I, it's not anything crazy, sure. but I think I just realized I am someone who wants to connect with people. I love encouraging people. Mm. I need that encouragement in my life. And if I can give people a resource something beautiful to send to someone else, which no one's doing anymore, you know, with a stamp and a pen to express yourself. And especially now, I think with suicide rates being so high and so many other things coming out that people aren't talking about um, how they feel all the time and all of the things we see on social media that are so perfect all the time. We're afraid to tell anybody that we're having a hard time. So just the ability to connect with other people and um, make a relationship more strong, more solid. I'm thinking about you outpouring into somebody else, Mm -hmm. giving someone the opportunity to do that. Um, That really was inspiring. And I thought, and if no one wants this, if no one cares about it, that's okay. I'm 40 now. I'm cool with myself. And if no one cares about this part, that's cool. But I see actually a hole in, in the market of what kind of I believe in, the person that I am, um, and not, uh, not seeing a, not seeing a, huge saturation of what I wanted to make in the greening card market. Um, 
I mean, we go and spend five bucks on a card at Target and it's kind of junk, right? Yeah. Like, can I make something beautiful that actually says something not super earnest? Some of it's cute, but there's plenty of snarky letterpress fun, yeah. really creative, interesting cards out there. Design is not my number one thing. There's a lot of amazing designers doing letterpress, but how can I express um, just the genuineness of wanting to connect with other people through the experiences we have in life in a greeting card that's going to want to make someone buy it and connect with someone else? Right. It's interesting how you had said before we kind of um, went live, um, you had talked about, gosh, if I just did what I loved doing when I was a little girl, mm -hmm. I would have, I would be doing what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting to me that your major was English. You mm -hmm. went down that publishing mm -hmm. road. And in essence, that's, you're back to that to some degree right. in that you're curating words and messages um, to encourage people. Like you're kind of back to that that is a full circle moment for you as well and knowing Completely. you as i do like it's so like really it took mm. you all that time right. to i could have told you that uh, because uh, yeah. that's so who you are <laughs> but for all of us i think it takes yeah. it takes a minute mm -hmm. um you had talked about like not really viewing yourself as an entrepreneur in those early days would you mm -hmm. say now you're an entrepreneur um i think i I think so because uh -huh. of the way that I have to do things, <laughs> but yeah. I don't think that I um, naturally think like one. So, and it's mostly because I'm married to someone who does naturally. Uh -huh. He's a visionary. He's more of a dreamer and I'm such a buzzkill. Like I go right to the how to. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh no, but what about this? And what about that? And I'm just so practical and how are you going to get that done? And he needs to dream. He, I need to be yeah. quiet. Like he needs to dream. So he, I need to let him dream about that and encourage that. And I need to actually do, it's uncomfortable to me to not know how to get from A to Z. I need to know all the ways first and then I'll do it because I want to do it right the first time and I'm going to be mm -hmm. really good at it. Right. Mm -hmm. So to not really know and to wing it, that's uncomfortable. So I need to learn to be more okay with that. And I think I am as the days go by, but that's why I don't view myself as a naturally driven entrepreneur. And then I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So I've in the last year kind of become familiar with that. And I think I'm like this mediator, peacemaker person who really wants everybody totally. to be happy and totally, good and yeah. really physically uncomfortable with conflict. But part of that, which I didn't really know, I think, which is a um, stereotype, but probably true of being a nine is that um, you think that your voice doesn't matter much. And it's not, I'm horrible and no one cares yeah. about me. It's just someone else is probably going to do that better than me. And so it's cool. Like, let's let them do it. You're easy to step aside and let like the professional do it. So in my mind, being legitimate meant all these other things needed to be checked off before mm -hmm. I was legitimate, right? Instead of at this point in my life saying, I actually think I have some things to say. And that quiet period sort of helped me find that. And it's, you know, it's not that I don't think I'm valuable. It's not that. It's just more that I really value other people and what they have to say and think they can maybe do a better job than me. Does that, does that mm -hmm. make sense? Because I'm such a rule follower. I think if I haven't done all those rules, I'm probably not going to be excellent. Okay. So there's a few things that are interesting to me. And I think for all those people listening who are perfectionists, mm -hmm. which you, by the way, say you're not, mm -hmm. but you yeah. are. <laughs> there's a lot you of are. <laughs> and so, yeah, you're saying like, I'm sort of in between. I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm also not this creative dreamer, whatever type I need to know how I need to follow rules, which mm -hmm. to me is more in line with mm -hmm. the perfectionist. Yep. So that's one thing that's interesting mm -hmm. that you find yourself in the middle of that when in fact, that's something that you're 
constantly bringing to the table, which in the case of being a letterpress artist, mm -hmm. a letterpress need, creative, you need that, you right? Yeah. You need to be nuts and bolts perfect yeah. every time. Yeah. That's right. So that's one thing mm -hmm. that I think is interesting. And mm -hmm. as people are listening, I hope they're like, okay, th this woman doesn't think that she can do that and look at what she's built. So maybe I can. So I mm -hmm. hope people hear that. But the other thing is all the while that you're learning this and you're processing your professional status as a letterpress person, as somebody who has a voice, you're earning money doing specialty carts. Your business is running. That's right. And you're still like, am I? Am I not legit? I'm not sure. And you're making money and business is running. And sure, can you create even more margin? Could you do even more? Could you have diversified? Of course you can. But you were choosing to also spend some time with your family that's, and your that's kids. That's right. And that was so purposeful for a couple of reasons. But namely, when this all sort of started really moving forward. I was going through infertility for two or three years, ended up having a baby that needed heart surgery within the first few months of her life. And so all of that really settled me in knowing this is going to be relegated to a certain amount of time in my life. And I, and I know that I don't take that lightly. I have a husband who has a job that mm -hmm. can allow us to do that. And it's, it is less income at the end of the day. And that forces us to make other choices. And yeah. We ended up leaving the city and moving to a suburb for for some of those reasons mm -hmm. in order to allow me to be home more because of those things. So they were all purposeful choices, but that's absolutely true. And I don't think I spent those years really thinking about it much. Like I mm -hmm. need to define if I am or am not this business maven. Like I'm just doing what I love to do. Yeah. And here's where it falls into my life is going to fit around what I think is most important. Doesn't that make you entrepreneurial? I think so. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So we agree. Okay. We end with an agreement. Jill is an entrepreneur. Um, so you've talked about and you thank you for sharing some of the personal stuff about what you were going through when you first started this business or when this, it was actually when this business was really taking off because mm -hmm. you had started the business long before the infertility mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, before your sweet not so mm -hmm. little girl anymore um, had um, her little heart issue. But one of the things that you have also talked about is just the ebb and flow of business and life and circumstances and moving. And mm -hmm. um, you had shared because this is a custom business and you have clients who are, you know, let's just be honest when you're doing business for brides in particular, <laughs> there's, a, there's a high level of demand. Uh -huh. um, and so can you point to one or 10 times where you're like, <laughs> I am so over this. I want to throw in the towel. And what's the thing that kept you going? Oh, probably the love of what I was, of what I was doing. That probably kept me going. Um, and knowing that the, um, each job, I love having an ending, right? In the custom world, there's a beginning and you turn the job in, right? Mm -hmm. You give it away. And so often my husband and I have this conversation where he's like, sometimes I just wish I could punch a clock because yeah. I can never turn it off. And so I loved the beginning. And I loved the end, right? And getting yeah. paid to do that. So I did love that process, no matter how bad the situation might've been at times. And that's also, you know, thanks to some lovely wedding planners who vetted some people for me. But um, <laughs> yeah, there are plenty of times. And I think recently in that quiet period um, that I went through a few years ago, what really encouraged me to keep going and maybe find my new version of myself, which was a combination of custom and maybe this greeting card business was really was following some, in, like Insta stalking some people, you mm -hmm. know, that I love on Instagram who have nothing to do with printing, but they're my people. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know anyone else who knows them or follows them or cares about them, but mm-hmm. they're my people. One of them is like into gardening. One of them sells planners. One of them does stock photography. They do all different things, creative. Um, but their people that follow them, their tribe of people, those are my people. That mm-hmm. like with the greening car line specifically, they just don't know it yet, but they exist. And I think in my small world, I would really doubt that. I think working in custom, I wouldn't know that they existed. In custom, mm-hmm. it's I'm I'm satisfying a single person. I'm bringing their dream to life. That's not what I want to say, right? And I love doing that. I love making people happy. I love give, hearing what they're saying, translating it into what they really want and giving it to them at the end of the day. I loved doing that process. But the greeting card thing is a different animal. And I think the thing that's allowed me to think about it and dream about it and pursue it is knowing that that tribe of people do exist. Mm-hmm. They just don't know me and I don't know them yet. And that was enough to push me through. How did you discern, I mean, the you found them through mm-hmm. Instastalking, but mm-hmm. how did you discern that they were your people? What was it that they, what was the through line between all of them? I that, think their vision and values for who they are as people mm. resonated with me. And that let me say, yeah, you're speaking my language. And um, I think that I saw their life. I think it's a very fine line on Instagram, right? Of being transparent and vulnerable enough to be known, not oversharing, but also you're not sharing everything. Like there's, you know, people obviously aren't sharing everything. And if they do, you're unfollowing them before the day is out. (laughs) But that fine line, I mean, there's some people I follow and I do want to see snippets of their kids. There's other people and I can't explain to you why. I really don't care. Like, yeah. I just want to see the canvas you're selling today. Yeah. Like, so I, it's, there's some magic there of, I want to know your life. And I feel as if I know you, you're vulnerable enough to show me that, but like, we're Insta friends. We're yeah. not, I'm not going to call you yeah. when I'm in town. At the same time, I will say, I reached out to some of them who are complete strangers and not only asked questions, which apparently I do well, but said, you know, you've totally encouraged me and inspired me in this dry season in my life. Thanks for being you. And I'm going to send you some stuff because I want to say thanks. And that's why I send it. And nine times out of 10, I've only done it twice. They say, (laughs) you know, they're so grateful. But I think more often than not, they're just touched that Instagram can be that kind of a place Mm -hmm. that actually builds community and a relationship rather than just a square that is giving information that equals dollars. Does that make sense? Okay, you're to- okay. No cheating. You're oh. taking us into the second part, oh, and I'm oops. like wanting to dig there. And I'm like, no, no, no. We have to stay on target. Oh. That's part two. That's part two. No, no, no. Okay. That was so good. Um, and I, w- I do want to really dig into that because I think there, I think you've done something that we should all probably be doing as we build out what that tribe is and who that community is, identifying who it is we want to interact with and who we want to engage with and not just being numbers driven. Like Mm -hmm. I want as many people as possible, but I want my people. Mm -hmm. I want people who are going to appreciate what we do. I was just telling Elizabeth before you came in that, um, we got an email from somebody who was like, Hey, we'd love to get some things from you. Um, some Liberty things from you. And I was like, that, that, those aren't necessarily our people. So I want to give you some things and I want to spread the word and thanks so much for thinking of us, Mm -hmm. but you're not our people and we have to be mindful of that. And I think that you bring something that's really important to mind that we Mm -hmm. don't always pay attention to. Um, So never wanting to throw in the towel because you always sort of came back to, this is really what I want to do or... Um, Yeah, I think so. This is what I want to do. And um, again, I think it comes back to me, to relational equity with people Mm. really in my life. Relational equity. Okay. People that I physically in my life, but also 
um, clients that I want to please. And the only way custom business continues to go is when those people are happy with what you've given them. There's no branding on the back. You don't send out a wedding invitation right. with your brand right. name on the back right. of it or anything uber fancy in that regard. Um, is there a premium for that though? I mean, are you as a business, do you say, well, my branding's not on the back, but these are the kinds of things I get paid more for? Um, yes. But at the same time, you know, today you can, my branding might not be on the back, but, um, I can share that all. It's my design and I can sure. share that however I want to on sure. social media. So there's ways to capitalize on it. Okay. Um, and I could, you know, make specialty envelopes and brand them. I could do that. And again, if I was like, this is, I'm really pouring more into that part of my business, that would be something that I could do. Mm. I don't think anyone cares as much about that, but I think they care much more about a bride saying, I loved your invitations. Who did you use? And if they yeah. don't want to buy something online, which these days is really easy and really cheap and they want something else, then they're going to listen to what their friend says more than even the brand. They, they might look you up, but they're going to really use you if their friend said so. How did you decide more on brides than perhaps uh, birth announcements? Like, or are they equal or custom stationary? And when living in Los Angeles, there's always someone getting married with a budget. Yeah. And I didn't um, necessarily seek it out more. I actually probably enjoy more doing birth announcements and just... Oh my gosh, the joy that that is is so much fun. Sure. And seeing moms like want to tell the world about their baby in yeah. this really kind of now it's almost this antique etiquette way yeah. of sending something through the mail, which no one does anymore. Um, so the margins were so good. Yeah. I could and do my fewer. guess is a pipeline too. Nobody, when they have a baby, you don't go to a baby coordinator, right? Like you just have a baby. It's just easier. So yeah. you find a couple of great wedding coordinators that you love to work with. They feed okay. you lovely clients. And then, and then when those people have babies, you're yeah. there. Right. Right. You it establish that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you something that you've alluded to a couple of times. Um, and it's that you are sort of diversifying and starting this custom. I mean, you have this custom line and you're starting this retail uh, line of selling cards. I'm saying retail, but it's yeah. not necessarily right. You could sell it wholesale yeah, too. Well, okay. now with Instagram and Pinterest being shoppable as easily you as can they do are. Both. You can do yeah. both. Um, so why that decision? I mean, you talked about, I found my voice and mm -hmm. is it because you feel like you have something to say or is it because you want to diversify from a business point of view? I think that the hustle to keep weddings um, afloat at this point with where I live, it's possible. I mean, I do things remotely all the time, but people still want to touch and feel when they're spending that much money on a wedding. That's different than a $5 greeting card. Mm -hmm. They're going to take a gamble and buy one of those. Whereas with a wedding, that's a very different story. They kind of do, not only do they want to see you and I don't care what people say, they care what you look like. They care sure. the image you're putting across. Like if you want to call it a lifestyle, whatever, they, they care. People care. They're going to spend that much money. You better have taste if you're going to be giving me this thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So the little things do still matter. And I can't always meet in person with people. So that affects it. Um, that was one thing. And I think just naturally, I've always been afraid of the greeting card thing. There's, it feels like a lot of pressure. I don't want all of the spotlight on like this. I was doing it for me and for my clients before. And that felt like stepping way out for me and no one cares, but it felt like it to me that yeah. I have to go to the national stationery show, which I've always wanted to do and yeah. spend X amount of money and build a booth and do things that really quickly in my practical brain with little kids. Cause that's the perfect way to do it. Got overwhelming yeah. quick. Yeah. Right. And so that's why also I always in my brain was going to do this with a partner, right? Which hasn't panned out yet and may yeah. at some point, but that always, again, made me brave to want to think I could do it. So um, I think the timing is just right. 
and also the time of my life or how old my kids are now, that feels really manageable. Let's do this. Let's put it out there. I can print out 500 cards today. And if they don't sell, I know how much exactly how much I've lost and I won't make that mistake next time. Right. So that feels manageable now in my life. The returns are not as good. I'll always want to do custom for the returns that that gives me and allows me and the creative juices that I love working with other people. I actually don't like working alone. So there's yin and yang and all of that. Right. I think I just answered six questions. Is there a, is there a, uh, an opportunity? Let's say you do the the state you go the the custom I keep wanting to say custom cards what are you calling them <laughs> greeting cards greeting cards yeah. I'm sorry let's say you go the greeting card route and you realize that the popularity of what you're saying mm-hmm. is getting traction mm-hmm. but because the margins aren't there in the mm-hmm. same way mm-hmm. that you diversify and create a printed version mm-hmm. of that instead of a letterpress version mm-hmm. of that is mm-hmm. that would you be willing to do that Maybe. Maybe. It's not as fulfilling personally, but if sure. obviously it made that much sense. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to seek that out, but that's yeah. always how I've taken the next step in things is something presented itself. Yeah. So if I needed to, I would. It's like, it to me, it's like the, yeah, I say this all the time. I, mean, I don't know if I say it on podcasts all the time. I say it to clients all the time, but it's like the having the, you know, Mark Jacobs versus the Mark by Mark kind right. of version. It's right. like you have the brand association, you've built out the, um, the, the value of the, of the line of the brand of the company, but you have this kind of junior version where it's much more accessible to a lot of people. And Oh, by the way, the margins are better too. Yeah. And thus until you just go, Oh, I spent $5 at target for junk. And really the market for letterpress is around that. I mean, it's, it's comparable and yet it's, a whole different um, experience experience, and, yeah. and it does cost more to make those cards, to make yeah. letterpress cards. So at the end of the day, I don't know if downgrading my printing process actually buys me anything sure. in terms of financial or otherwise. Well, and I also wonder because it's become, it's such a special thing to mm-hmm. put something in the mail. If we're going to be willing, it's a gift now sending a letter is a gift. I mean, unless it's perfunctory like thank you card or something that you're like my kids are you know forever I'm I'm worse than my kids but forever like annoyed with me shoving thank you cards in front of their face but but if it's something that I'm sending this to a friend really for no reason in particular like that in and of itself is a gift and so maybe I'll spend seven or eight dollars maybe I'll 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 spend more than the standard especially when you're looking for opportunities to, for lack of a better term, bless other people. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be Father's Day and birthday and Mother's Day and graduation. There's a lot of other things that we all experience collectively throughout the year that you can celebrate and make connection with someone. Which because that is something that you've, where you found your voice, it's almost like you could not do those other things. It's almost like you could intentionally not do the the cards, the celebratory cards, the standard celebratory mm-hmm. cards. Sure. This is just an everyday celebration. Right. Which is... I love that. You know, how I, I like that. to live. Where's the champagne? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And I think for people listening, it's interesting to think about what, you know, we're building whatever we're building and we we make these assumptions. Like, we're a cake company. Well, we should make cakes for birthdays. We should make cakes for holidays, for weddings, for whatever. But what what if we spun it and said every day is a cake day mm-hmm. and we, you know, created a price point and a size right. that it doesn't have to be shared with multiple people. It's teeny tiny. I don't know. Maybe that's called a cupcake. But 
Um, but you know, yeah. you know what the point is. I think it's interesting for you to help us think through how we can turn things a little bit on their side and, and shift into a different paradigm. Um, okay. Oh my gosh. So many questions. Um, so go back to not necessarily when you bought the, the letterpress and, you know, a couple years into your business, but go back to the very beginning. What would you change? What would you change and what would you do if, if you could, what would you do over? Uh, I think, well, some of it came from just living life. Yeah. Right. And learning and growing and realizing. It's always a weird question because yeah, it's such There's a, a flip side to the answer, yeah. you know, the like believe in yourself earlier. And it's <laughs> yeah. true, but like really at 25, like I was a different person and I hadn't gone through some of the hardships yet that made me know who I was. Yeah. So that's a hard one to answer in that way. Yeah. But I think so. I think just start, just get started. Like fear is a liar. Yeah. And that, I mean, I know it affects all of us at different times in different ways, but to see it for what it is and to tell myself the truth all the time. And I don't mean like, I, about myself, mm-hmm. about who I am. And even if I don't know what I was created to do yet, to continue to tell myself the truth, because whether it's an inner critic or it's your worst, you know, online review or whatever it is, what is it? It takes 10 good things to wipe away. Yeah. We're always going to go back yeah. to like rely, go back to that thing naturally. So just to continue to tell myself the truth more often, like train myself to do that and live in a grateful place for exactly where I am and then just do it, start it. Like everyone, everyone wants vulnerability, Tell people you're just starting. You don't know what you're doing. Tell people you're winging it. Like, I yeah. want to know that. So I think I would just be more honest about that Yeah. in the beginning and then just believe in myself more. Yeah. I, you're making a scrunchy face. And the reality is that was an awesome answer that will <laughs> encourage. I mean, I'm encouraged and think, you know, <laughs> years into my business <laughs> that um, those are things I can say to myself right now and to, you know, the 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 idea that fear is a liar mm-hmm. and the idea that we have to tell ourselves the truth it can can be like oh i should be past that mm-hmm. right now and the reality is that that's not the case yeah. um which is why entrepreneurship isn't mm-hmm. for everyone mm-hmm. because the that can be really exhausting for certain pe- personality mm-hmm. types mm-hmm. it also means we need to surround ourselves with a tribe of people who believe in us that's right and who, um, you know, with good reason or without good reason, um, think we can do it. So, okay, Jill, we got to wrap this up so we can move on to the next stuff. Thank you so much for sharing your story and um, just for coming to hang out with us. Great to be here. And Liberty listeners, we will be back with part two of Jill's story and her tips and tools and wisdom um, for more goodness. Uh, Join us in a week. See you then. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 